Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. We have been going this summer through the Psalms. I don't know if you have had a chance to do uh, the reading for every day. Uh, We have those bookmarks we gave out. We also have those online. If you need one, I can send them to you. Just let me know. Um, But it gives us a psalm to read every day. Sometimes it's two for the day. And uh, it has been truly remarkable for me in my life here this summer to wake up every morning, first thing, read the psalm for the day. And then before I go to sleep, same thing. It's just putting in my head at the right key moments in my day some thoughts about God and some prayers. And sometimes the Psalms, you know, they pray for things that I would have never thought to pray, you know, justice over here in this case in the world or relief from my enemies over here or different things that that God brings to mind through those Psalms. And I've heard from a number of people from church that uh, this has been a really rich and rewarding thing for them to do a summer in the Psalms and to read those every day. I hope that's been something for you too. Every Sunday, then through the summer, we I preach on a different psalm, uh, and this morning's is Psalm 51. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, just get them and then, and just uh, kind of look along with me as I read through and talk about Psalm 51 today and the incredible lesson that it has for us. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. For surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness in the womb and taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. But the sacrifices that you desire, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a humble heart. In this you will not despise. Psalm 51 is one of my favorite psalms over the years. It's a prayer of confession. David is asking for God's forgiveness He has sinned and he is reaching out to the Lord in prayer and asking God to have mercy on him. And he is asking God to forgive his sins and to make him clean. I was thinking this week about how important confession is in the Christian life. We are called in the Bible to confess our sins to God. 
not to ignore our sins or to hide them or to justify them, but to humbly confess them. 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Part of repentance is confession. It is acknowledging that we have done wrong. We have sinned against God, and only he can make us clean. Confession to God is part of the Christian life. James 5.16 even goes further and says we are to confess our sins to one another and to pray for each other that we might be healed. Part of being a church, part of being the body of Christ and belonging to each other and, and living out our faith side by side, part of that is admitting our struggles, our temptations, addictions, and our sins to one another and praying for each other. How many of us have actually done that? I wonder if there's somebody in your life that you have admitted some struggles that you have that they might pray for you to, to walk in obedience. It's one of the reasons we need church. Confession is a big part of the Christian life. The first memory that I have of confession was when I was in the third grade. My mother is, is uh, here this weekend, and, and she may remember the story, but she found out that I had been lying to my third grade teacher and telling her that I had done all of the extra credit reading uh, for each day when mom knew that I hadn't done that. But there was a prize, a toy, that was given to each student who read the extra book for the day. And I wanted that toy, and so I came up with a plan in my third grade head that I would simply read the first word of every page of those books so that I could tell the teacher at the end of the day I read every page. And somehow I convinced myself in this I was not lying. Well, mom knew. She saw me coming home with these toys every day, and she asked where I got them, and I couldn't lie to her. And so she drove me straight back to school in the afternoon, and I had to confess to my teacher that I had lied to her and that I had not read those books. I cried the whole confession out. I was shaking and scared. I think I thought I was going to get kicked out of school. I was embarrassed. My, but my teacher, you know, she was, she was good. She was, you know, concerned about that. She was kind, though. She made me give back all of the prizes until I read all of the books. But I learned a good lesson that day. Confession is so important to our relationship with God and others, and our own growth. It's being honest with God and others. It's integrity. It's admitting where we are. It's recognition uh, that there's a right and a wrong, and sometimes we didn't choose right, and we broke God's commands, and we sinned against Him and others. And instead of justifying our behavior or ignoring our sin or just feeling bad about it, we are called to confess it. That's what Christians do. David is confessing in Psalm 51. Well, what is he confessing to? What did David do? 
Well, we find his story in 2 Samuel 11. And I want to mention it just for a moment because it's very important to understanding this Psalm 51 and why David prays like he does. In 2 Samuel 11, we read that in the spring when kings were going off to war, David didn't go, which wasn't like David at all. David was the king who was known for always going out front and leading his troops, believing and trusting in his God. But in 2 Samuel 11, we read that though there's this war and God had called him to go, David stayed at home and he sent Joab to go out in his place to fight the Ammonites. And this may seem like just a little detail, but it's actually pretty important. Because it's telling us that David wasn't where David was supposed to be. Something is not right with him. Maybe he's tired, getting a little old. Maybe he's self-centered. He's getting a little complacent in his relationship with God or whatever. But in that important moment, David stays at home in the palace. The chapter goes on and continues and tells us that David got up one evening because he couldn't sleep. So he walked out onto his terrace and he looked down upon his city, and he saw this woman bathing. And now the David of old, you know, the David and Goliath David, that David would have turned away and gone right back to bed. But again, David's not in a great place. He's older, he's restless, he's bored, and she's beautiful. And her name was Bathsheba. And so he stops and he stares at her. Then David sends somebody to find out who she is. Now, David's a married man. And on top of that, he finds out that Bathsheba's married too. She is Uriah's wife. Uriah was one of David's best soldiers and a good and faithful friend. And, and Uriah's off fighting David's war while he's moving in on his wife. For even though David learned that Bathsheba was married, he still had someone go and bring her to him. And then David slept with her. And not long after, Bathsheba sent word to the palace that she was pregnant. Well, the whole rest of that chapter in 2 Samuel 11 is David trying to cover up his sin. He tries to get Uriah to come home from battle to spend the night with his wife so he thinks the child is his. But when Uriah won't come home because he's too good of a soldier... David moves Uriah to the front lines and then has the general pull back and let Uriah and many other soldiers die. This is David. David kills his own men to cover up his own sin. David was willing to lose the battle. You see, sin leads to more sin. Well, when Bathsheba learns of her husband's death, she mourns for him. And then David takes her home as his own wife. It's this horrible story of adultery, abuse of power, murder. And this isn't even one of the bad guys in the Bible. This is one of the good guys, if I can say that. This is David, a man after God's own heart. He does a lot of really good things in the Bible. But he is a sinner like you and me who is capable of doing really bad things like this. James 1, 14 and 15 says, Each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin as it grows gives birth to death. At the end of 2 Samuel, it appears 
you know, after all of this, that David has gotten away with it. He's, he doesn't appear in the story even remorseful or repentant. He takes Bathsheba as his own. No one seems to know what he did. Quite possibly Bathsheba doesn't even know that it was David who had her husband killed. David thought he had taken care of everything. But then we get to the last verse of 2 Samuel 11, where it says, The thing David had done displeased the Lord. What David thought was over wasn't over. What David thought nobody saw, God saw. The Lord knows what is done in secret, and we cannot escape his judgment. So 2 Samuel 12 begins with the words, The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to speak to David. And Nathan tells David this really creative story about how a rich man stole from a poor man. How the poor man had this one lamb and loved it, took care of it, and treasured it, while the rich man had many lambs and sheep and cattle and such. But one day, when the rich man got hungry, he didn't take from one of his own, but he took from the poor man the only lamb he had, the one he loved, and he killed it. As David is listening to this story, he is getting angrier. How dare that man who had so much take from that other man? David says to Nathan, who is the man who would do such a horrible thing? He's got to pay for his crimes. And at that moment, Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. This is what the Lord says. I anointed you king over all of Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the palace that you're in. I gave you the wife in your arms. I gave you everything you have. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord and do what was evil in his eyes? You killed Uriah. You took his wife. David, it was you who did evil. In this confrontation, Nathan was getting at the heart of David. For David's sin went deeper than even acts of adultery or murder. It was his heart that had turned away from God. He had become the David that said, I can do whatever I want. I can take whatever I want. God called me to go and fight the Ammonites, but I'm king. I'm tired. I'll send somebody else. I see a woman down there who's attractive. Who cares if she's another man's wife? I want her, so I will have her. Uriah won't go and do what I need him to do, so I'll just have him killed. Because I'm David, I can. There was no consideration for God or anyone else. In that moment, all he cared about was himself. His desire ruled him. God did not. And this is getting at the core of sin. That I don't have to listen or answer to God or anyone. I'm going to do what I want, what I think, what is best for me. This is that sinful nature that lives in all of us when we get our eyes off of the Lord. This is what caused Adam and Eve to take of the forbidden fruit. What caused Cain to kill his brother or Pharaoh to ignore all the warnings. I'm going to do what I want to do. No fear of God, no thought of others. I can do whatever I want, take whatever I want. So Nathan the prophet reveals to David who he had become, puts a mirror up to his heart. And Nathan told David his sin was known. God saw it. And so even though God loved him, there's going to be consequences for this. 
I mean, David sees it. In his remorse, David cries out to God. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David admits, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You won't die. But because of what you've done, there will be calamity in your house and the child won't live. Sin always leads to pain. And it's from this broken place that David prays out Psalm 51. As a broken man, as a humbled man who has just had his eyes opened, a sinful man who looks at his life and what, what he has become, and he is genuinely sorry for his sin, and he does fear God, and he also loves God, and he also knows only God can help him and save him now. And he needs God's forgiveness to get right with God, first of all. And he needs God's help to begin again with a new heart and a right spirit. It's a prayer of confession and a prayer for new life. And you know, that's really the great thing here about God. When we come to him, he doesn't just beat us up for what we did. You know, he, he can raise us up to new life. He can do the impossible. He can heal the most broken heart, restore the most damaged life. In him there is hope. Jesus was a friend of sinners. God so loved the world he sent his son. There'll be things that we're going to have to face now and live with because of our sin. But there's also salvation for all who call on his name. For even in the darkest and lowest moments of our life, he is there to receive us. His love is unfailing. For him, with us, what we see we see the cross when we come to him. We see the one who died for those sins. We see the one who rose to give us new life in his name. He's a merciful God. He's merciful even to David here after everything that David did. You see, confession is so important to the Christian life. It's the first step towards repentance and truly experiencing his great love. A few things I want to point out from this prayer in Psalm 51. First, note, David says to God, against you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David's sin was first against God. That doesn't mean that he didn't also sin against Bathsheba or Uriah or his people. David's actions harmed all of them. He hurt all of them, and his actions negatively affected each one. But what David comes to see is something that we must as well, that every sin is first a sin against God, not just somebody else. For God alone is the one who made us, and we are his, and our life answers to him. He is the one who has commanded certain things of us, and he is our Lord. God commanded David, like all of us, certain things, like not to commit adultery, not to murder. So David broke God's law when he slept with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. It was wrong, not just because somebody got hurt or that it felt wrong to him, but because God commanded it. That's why. <coughs> so too, in our life, it's not just that we think it's right or wrong or good or bad or if it hurts somebody or not or if we really want something or don't. Our life 
is to submit to God and his commands and his will. Every time we do that, which he commands us not to, it is sin. And we sin against him. Even if everybody around us says, oh, it's fine. It's not really that bad. Even if we really want it, even if we think that it'll do us good in the end or what all this, we can justify it. But it's not. It's not for us to decide. We are not God. He is God. And so our life answers to him. And so every sin is a sin first against God. I think of the story of David and Saul. When David was younger, his heart was fully for God. And we see just how much in the story when Saul is pursuing him to kill him. And David is hiding out in a cave. And Saul happened to go into that same cave and was unarmed. And David had a chance to kill Saul. And his friends told him to. It looked like the answer to all his problems. It would have been so easy and so easy to justify. For this guy was trying to kill him. And yet David didn't kill Saul. Why? Because he knew God and that his life answered to God. And so he said, how dare I do this? His life is not mine to take. He is the anointed of God. God will judge him. That's not for me. David wouldn't do what the crowd wanted, what would have made his life easier, what he could have easily justified. So at that time in David's life, you see, his heart was fully for God. He would not sin against God. But in this time in his life, his heart started to justify a dark path. And so once he realizes it, he stops it. And his prayer of confession says, I've sinned against God. I'm on a path here. I don't want to keep going down. Every sin is a sin against God. The Bible says our sins separate us from God. It says the wages of sin is death and that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He did that upon the cross. So when we confess our sins to him, admit that we broke God's law and ask for his forgiveness by the blood of Christ, we have it. He will forgive us. Which leads me to the second thing we learn in this psalm. It's that David asks God, to wash away all of his sins. Not just forgive him, but he says, blot out my transgressions. The word blot out refers to having a debt being paid, canceled. He says, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The word cleanse means of all my impurities inside. So what dirt is, you know, to the body, sin is polluting to the inner person. And we can't wash ourselves inside of all of our sin. We can't do enough religious rituals to be pure on the inside. But when we confess those sins to God and believe in Christ and invite the Lord into our life, he cleanses us out from within. He changes our heart. He puts a new spirit in us. Verse 7 says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. The reference here to hyssop, hyssop was a plant in Israel used in worship. It was also the plant God's people used to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on their doorpost during Passover. David uses it here as a metaphor to say that only by God's grace and the blood of the lamb can he be made clean of all of his sin. And this is our faith as well, you see, that upon the cross, Jesus, the Lamb of God, took our sins away 
as only he could. In baptism, we recognize this, how he alone is able to wash us clean of all of our impurity, his blood to make us white as snow. I think of the image of the saints and in Revelation, uh, those gathering around the throne of God in heaven. It says they are wearing white robes, and it says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's just the image, again, of purity and righteousness that cannot come through us or by the law. We all fall short of that, but it comes through faith in Christ and His work on the cross and His Spirit that changes us from within. He alone can make us clean. So in this prayer of confession, David first acknowledges that he sinned against God, and then second, he asks for what only God can do, forgive him and make him clean. And then third, we see here, David prays for a new heart and the Holy Spirit to be in him and remain in him, that he might continue to have God's blessing to lead and have joy again and help other sinners like him see the error of their ways. And this is important, I think, in our prayers of confession. When we ask for God's forgiveness, is it only because we just don't want to face the consequences that we did and we want God just to kind of take that away? Or do we ask God's forgiveness just because we feel guilty and we don't want to feel bad anymore? Or are we truly sorry for our sins? We see the problem that it is, and we want God's help to live a brand new life, a life pleasing to God. You know, the old joke was that people would party on Saturday night and then just go to confession Sunday morning, and then all would be good. And then next week, they would do it all over again. And then all the way through, as if this is what God wants, just you to confess on Sunday morning. No, he wants you to see what you did, why it is not his will, and then to change course. David, in Psalm 51, is genuinely remorseful over his sin. He both seeks God to wash away that sin, but then also help him live a life that pleases God. A life that is obedient now to God's commands and helpful to other people. So he prays, create in me a pure heart and put a right spirit within me. I was reading the story of the guy who started Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was on the wrong path for a long time. And it just kept getting worse. And his half attempts at changing never worked. And he realized he could not get free himself. The only way to break free of these chains of addiction that was, was with God's help. And so he came to this point of real, true surrender. And he wrote these words about it and, and put it out there in his testimony. He said, so I humbly offered myself to God to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my new friend, Christ, take them away root and branch. I have not had a drink since. He and his wife went on to help a lot of people through the same disease he had. This is Psalm 51. David is not just casually saying sorry for his sins or just feeling bad. He sees that something big has got to change inside his life. And he wants that. 
And until you want that and willing to let God have all of you, you won't ever be free. David wants it. And so he fully surrenders his life to God, asking God to change his heart, put a spirit within him to do what he cannot do for himself. This is true repentance. This is faith. This is real remorse over our sin and life choices and actions and desiring to live a new life in Christ with his strength and help every day. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them a new heart to know me. And Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They'll be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and put my spirit in you to move you to follow my commands. The Lord will do it for us. In Christ, we can become a new person and be free. We don't have to who we be who we have been. We can become who we were supposed to be. David's prayer of confession in Psalm 51 is not just, I'm sorry, forgive me. It's cleanse me and make me brand new. I don't want to keep being the person I've been who hurts others and abuses his power and only thinks about himself and not the pain I'm causing others or the evil in my heart towards my God. So, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation and a life walking with you and doing your will that I might teach sinners your ways. And then lastly, I want to just mention this, the ending of the prayer where David says, I know you don't want me to bring sacrifice or burnt offerings. In other words, David is saying, hey, you don't want, God, just my words or my rituals. But David says to end the psalm, the sacrifices God truly desires are a broken spirit, a broken and a humble heart before him. Confession and repentance, it's not just a ritual we do. It's not just something we check off our list. It's a daily humble walk with God. Broken over our sin, the sin we see in our world. The violence, the hate, the greed, the abuse of power, the lust, the self-centeredness, and complacency to all things God. It's asking God for forgiveness for this in our own heart and in our world. That by the blood of Christ and asking for his spirit to change us and to make us new. That we might be moved to follow his commands. To love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love our neighbors better. And to be better fathers and husbands and co-workers and witnesses that he has called us and saved us to be. And so it's not just about religion. It's not just a thing we check off. It's about a humble, broken relationship with God to be his people and a little bit of a light in this, this world that needs it. Confessing we haven't always been that and we want to be that. With his help, we can be that. And so we surrender our life. We humbly offer ourselves again and again and again. Because it's all that we have to give. And it's all that he ever wanted. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you are able to join us in worship again soon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org. 